dear basketball. From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. I love so deep I gave you my all, from my mind and body to my spirit and soul. As a six-year-old boy, I was deeply in love with you. I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court. After every loose ball for you, you asked for my hustle. I gave you my heart. Because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and hurt. Not because Challenge called me, but because you called me. I did everything for you. Because that's what you do. When someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel. You gave a six-year-old boy his lake a dream, and I'll always love you for it. But I can't love you obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding, my mind can handle the grind, but my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know now, so we both can savour every moment we have left together. The good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, one. Love you always, Kobe. Those are the words from Kobe Bryant from his Players Tribune piece, Dear Basketball, for which he got adapted into a live animated short film for which he won an Oscar in. I was going to record this episode of What's Good on a Monday the 27th, um, just uh, for scheduling purposes, and uh, the news obviously dropped... Um, the night before, and I thought I could do it, I thought I could record, um, after I heard the news, um, I actually managed to record an episode of Digging in Digits with uh, Ben, and we talked about it briefly, um, at the end of the show, but I knew I would have to talk about it on here, obviously, because it's my show, and you know, guys know I love basketball, but it's not just about that as well, you know, it's, it's obviously much more than that when it comes to something like this. But we're going to talk about it regardless. So, um, in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Network. I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week. Um, I usually, you know, spend this time ahead of the topics. Um, I use this time to obviously talk about how my week's been, um, and to be honest, uh, it kind of links into everything at the moment especially for what I'm going to talk about today from I've only got three topics um and that's strictly for potential uh time um I want to spend time on some of these topics um on the topics I've picked anyway but I felt weird the past week or so um I'm recording obviously on Wednesday 29th hit for the episodes for this episode to drop on 30th and um yeah obviously we're going to talk about Kobe um in more depth um ahead of the uh, after this but i've just felt weird there's just been this weird feeling i've had in the past week um one of um it, it's keep, it's keeping me up at night it really is um i can't fully explain it it's like a fear of something 
Um, and maybe, you know, there's potential factors. Um, you know, just like constant worrying of my career or whatever, or just like, you know, fear of not progressing, which I always have. It keeps me in a perpetual uh, mild anxiety in the back of my brain. But it's just a little bit more than that. It's just, it's just pushed to the forefront. With, and I don't know what that force that's pushing it. I don't know that force that's pushing it. Maybe it could be the exit. You know, it's in a couple of days. Maybe um, maybe it's just a, I don't know, a spiritual feeling. I can't, really, I can't really explain it. I don't know where it's coming from. But with that said, um, and I'm probably going to say this again at some point, um, during the show, but just take stock, you know, I think we all, like, live very fast compared to our our previous generations, especially if you're around my age, um, but I think the world at large just is moving faster than it should, and it's very hard to stop, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not one for. You know, you got st- always stop and smell the roses. You know, it's just, you know, it's good. It's good to do that, but sometimes you just can't for whatever reason, and that's understandable. But yeah, you know, I feel again. I just feel a bit odd. I don't. I don't know what it is, and I'm wondering if it's just me. <laughs> Probably is, but um, you know, if you feel odd as well, then. You're not alone in that in that case, um, but with that said, might as well just hop into the show, just um, and just get into it and just move forward. I guess because <laughs> that's what we always have to do. I guess. But four minutes before we begin, we have to email, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all there in the description. Have a Discord as well if you want to join that. Please join if you want to. Five five uh, fifth member community, and yeah. Might as well just jump right in, let the music drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where the Doomsday Clock is set to 100 seconds to midnight, Trump's administration unveiled their Space Force logo, which basically is a Star Trek ripoff. Coronavirus starts to spread across the world, Sajid Javid unveils the new 50p coin to commemorative... commemorative commemorate the exit with peace, prosperity and friendship with all nations on the front of it. Boris Johnson also greenlights Huawei to implement 5G in the UK and obviously, which I'm not going to talk about in depth because I simply don't want to, um, we leave, well, the UK is leaving the EU in a couple of days uh, as this rip, as this episode drops tomorrow. And... Um, if you guys want to know why I'm not putting any emphasis on it, um, it's just simply because I feel like with a lot of things um, when it comes to this, so as big as this, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, there's not, there's not gonna be no news on it <laughs> afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah, it may be a day of significance, and it will obviously be a day where the wrong people in history will hopefully be accounted for, and the right people in history will be accounted for as well, um, but yeah, I just don't really, I'm not in the mood, I'm, I'm really not in the mood to talk about it, but what I am in the mood to talk about is the death of Kobe Bryant, and also uh, his 13 year old daughter Gianna, and also just to note, you know, there were other victims included, so I just wanted to say their names, just to, just to say it and show respect, John and Kerry Altabelli, their daughter Alyssa, Sarah Chester and her daughter Peyton, Christina Mauser, and also the pilot Ara Zobayan. Um, condolences to all the families involved. But obviously the notable death of all of that, and the reason why the news is covering it so much, is because it Kobe Bryant was part of that crash, and his daughter Gianna. Or Gigi for short. Um... On Sunday, I recorded, um, I was about to record what's good, um, I was about to call the Digging Digits with Ben, and um, 
he told me the news literally about 10, 15 minutes before we hopped on to talk to each other just before the, you know, actual recording. Um, I was just uh, sitting in my room, just like, um, I don't call it meditating, but I just sit there and, you know, just try and clear my mind. But, um, yeah, I just sat there and then I checked my phone after I finished um, and he just said, bro, Kobe died. And I was just, yeah, I was in a genuine shock. Um, a genuine shock that I probably I don't think I've actually felt properly. Uh, not in not of this magnitude, simply because, um, of how sudden it was. You know, I literally as soon as he texted that, hopped on Twitter. Every single post on Instagram on Twitter for me was Kobe all Kobe and um, something I want to say just to get out of the way um, I, I, I the, stuff like this makes me sick not for the deaths themselves but for the reporting of them because it always happens it always happens you know it's this ethical I think it's an ethical thing in journalism correct me if I'm wrong but you know it's, it's something that we you know we can we can see firsthand it's just like Outlets want to be first. They never want to be right. You know, they they choose being first over being right. And that is, in this world, you know, like I said, the world's moving too fast. And that is a symptom of it. That is a symptom of of just outlets just wanting to be fast. You know, fast food, news, you know, just have to get it out there. It's like, that's not the point. You know, it may be breaking news, right, but... Get that breaking news correct. You're all news organisations. You provide news, and you know the amount of disinformation, uh, misinformation there is in on the internet. No matter what platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, it's everywhere. It's everywhere misinformation. It's more inform- misinformation than genuine information now. And you and you guys are trying to be so fast with it. You know, um, and it actually and, and it hurt a little because. Um, I saw reports, firstly, that Kobe died, right? And I was just like, damn. No fucking way. No way. No way in hell. No way. Right? Genuine disbelief. And then I started seeing reports of uh, his uh, previous... Uh, well, one of his former teammates, Rick Fox, was part of it. Well, it was, um, you know, in the crash. And he wasn't. And that was a bit of a misinformation. That I was just like... Literally five minutes after. Five minutes how do you get how do you get that information in five minutes? Unless you were in the unless you were on the helicopter, like how how do you get that information so quickly? And that's something we all have to question, but you know we don't for whatever reason. But yeah, that was clear misinformation. And mis- and Rick Fox actually hopped on Twitter afterwards to say I was not on the helicopter, and that's you know that's and that's good on his part to do so. But then I saw you know that um, Gianna was part of it. And, you know, minutes after, that happened a few minutes afterwards, you know, about half an hour afterwards, uh, the Rick Fox misinformation, I was just like, you can't fuck with me like that. You can't fuck with us like that. That's horribly disgusting if you put Gianna was part of the helicopter crash and it's misinformation. I I low-key wanted it to be misinformation so I could be angry, just to keep, just... To give myself a reason to be angry, you know. Just something to be angry about. Um, but, as we know, she was part of it. And that was the second wave, I think, for me and I guess for all of us, that it just hurt. Because for those that followed Kobe Bryant's career, um, whether it be just, you know, from afar, as a casual fan of basketball or whatever, or just followed him on what, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, right? If you followed him on social media, you know that he cared about his daughters a lot. And from the trivia stuff I've seen in the past few days, you know, it's the, the, the one overriding thing I noticed is that we admire, admired him as a basketball player, but a lot of people admired him a lot more, maybe more so, as a father. And the fact that he had, now unfortunately, three daughters... Um, but he's, he's left. 
and um, that was something that was very admirable to see. You know, obviously in in America, especially, there's a um, stereotype about black fathers, and he was the polar opposite of that. You know, and it was generally quite genuinely very heartwarming to see. And Gianna herself was a very talented basketball player. You know, he he, he hyped her up so much, and you know, I, you you kind of you kind of just see that, and you're like, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine if you're Kobe Bryant's door and you play basketball, you better be freaking good at it, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, it's, 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 it's evident. But um, another thing I was seeing um, throughout was the amazing ideas that people had as basketball fans. Um, some people, some a bit, some I don't really agree with personally, um, there were, there, but there were a few I, I rated. There was some like... Uh, uh, retire eight and twenty four across all leagues. Um, uh, the owner of the Mavericks, Mark Cuban, actually outlawed. Um, nobody wears tw- no, nobody wears twenty four twenty four in the Mavericks jersey ever again. Um, so that's a that was a good gesture by him. Uh, some people were saying uh, for the upcoming All Star game in uh, I think Chicago, uh, one team wears eight, one team wears twenty four. Obviously, the numbers that Kobe wore. That was a good one. Uh, named the All Star MVP award to Kobe. Um, in the name of Kobe, I think that was cool. That was a cool one. I'd go with that. Um, some people said name Staples Center after Kobe. Um, I don't think uh, the company Staples would be very happy with that. Um, as much as they'd love to, don't think they would. Um, uh, then there were obviously some more um, larger ones, uh, which uh, which uh, and there was actually one I really messed with, which is. Uh, Instead of twenty one, you obviously the how you know people play on the play on street courts. They play up to twenty one. You know, two pointers and one points and three points and two points. Instead of going up to twenty one, you go up to twenty four and you call it Kobe. You call the game Kobe. And uh, when you get to the match, well, match point kind of thing to quote tennis. Um, if you miss that, if you miss that shot for twenty four, uh, you have to go back to eight and go back and go up from there. I thought that was a fucking amazing idea, and I would, I would love if people implemented that. Um, so the tributes to Kobe have been amazing, um, and genuinely very heartwarming. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to also talk about um, was just how, um, you know, the coverage of Kobe was very interesting. Um, in the in the broadest of scopes, and I can't I can't I can't talk about you know you you can't talk about um, the life of Kobe without referencing the Colorado um, rape accusation, and that is something. It's just, you know it's something, and you have to recognize that. And what you also have to do, in my mind is that you have to subjectively, admittedly, I think it's hard, excuse me, I think it's hard to objectively think about, uh, weigh it up, you know, weigh up the negatives when someone dies, you know, be it someone like Kobe Bryant, who, you know, obviously was an inspiration across the world in many ways, um, or, you know, I don't know, a dictator or, you know, someone who's given probably a net net negative to the world um you know you 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 subjectively decide whether you know you you we make it black and white don't we we make it black and white when people when some people die you know you 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 either say he was a bad person or a good person (laughs) you know i mean some people do that and it's you know it's you, you can do that if you want um and subjectively you make that decision in your head but you always when you think about it, you always have to weigh it up, and it's always grey. It's always grey. Um, so you have to acknowledge, you know, all that—the rape accusations. Um, but, and I don't want to say but. <laughs> That's not the word. Um, and you can also you can do both. That's basically what I'm saying. You can do both. You can acknowledge that, but you can also acknowledge 
the good. And that's all we can do. And that's what we should do. You know, not to be not to be too broad, but that's what we should do with history. You know, you acknowledge the good and you acknowledge the bad. I've always said that, especially when it comes to, you know, British history and, you know, American history and colonial history, you know, just not to get too deep. But yeah, you know, it should be acknowledged that there's some good stuff, but there's a lot of bad stuff as well. And we need to acknowledge as much as possible, all of it, as all of it as much as you humanly can do. Um, but yeah, obviously people have immediate, uh, you know, the immediate reaction was to be positive about Kobe's life and that's fine. And if you want to be overly negative about the Kobe's life in terms of a knee jerk reaction, fine, I completely understand. Um, but I guess I decided to, um, in my mind, all I, all I was thinking afterwards in the aftermath and the shock actually held me for a good 24 hours, to be honest. The overriding thought I had was um, uh, just how bad I feel for his widow, Vanessa, and, uh, you know, his three children and the rest of his family, to be honest. Um, It's just, I I can't even imagine that, you know. The reason why this has been so shocking to a lot of people is because, you know, even though Kobe's, you know, the thing that he's known by his basketball career was already over. Um, he was just getting started to be, you know, a force in another way, in other ways, business-wise, creating a legacy for his, you know, those daughters can, you know, look up to, you know, and be proud of as they look at their dad, and. You know, from a sports perspective, you know, constantly mentoring future NBA players, future NBA stars, um, and being one of the biggest advocates for the WNBA. And that's always something I highly respected. Um, you know, I don't watch the WNBA simply because I just don't have the means to, and I don't have the time to, to be honest, I just choose not to. If I could, I would, um, but I don't really have the... Um, time to, but the fact that he was an advocate for that, for for the WNBA, and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, really ingratiated, uh, ingrained that passion into Gianna was, you know, you could see it, and one of the videos people were sharing was, like, a recent one where they were, both of them were at a game, and, like, he was talking about something on the court, he was, like, pointing on the court, and she basically finished his sentence. You can see that she finished his sentence, and like he was just smiling. He was like, "Yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it." You know, you can't, you can't, you can't not smile at that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, the overriding thought I had initially was just like, obviously, one of shock and just like disbelief, and then just genuine sadness, and uh, and I, now I just feel um, hope that Vanessa can get through it you know, and grieve and have a time and the doors can have their time as well and his family can have their time to grieve. Um, but from a legacy standpoint, I think um, for me, Kobe was, well, not my favourite basketball player, just to say he wasn't my favourite basketball player. He was a great basketball player. That's objectively fact. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer in the coming months, which unfortunately he can't do the speech, which I think everyone was looking forward to to, to, to look at. But... That won't happen, but um, obviously people mention Marvin mentality, and for those that don't know, the pe- reason why people mention it, and you know, you got a bit of it when I read Dear Basketball, but it's so much deeper than that. It's such a mindset that so many athletes have tried to do themselves, and you know, if you if you find the right places that um you know reporters that followed his career and if you listen to their stories that that like I have um you know that he had a just an absolutely inhuman uh just drive and i think that's something that we can apply to not just sports but you know creatively um and just in life in general if you're passionate about something as much as he was about basketball, and you can apply a mumper mentality to it. You know, for me, um, 
you know, it's kind of an inspiration in that sense because, you know, I, I try to be focused on everything as much as I possibly can, but it's really hard to. And, you know, that's just a matter of juggling stuff. But to have that laser focus on one thing and to not be deterred by anything, anyone, is crazy to think about. Absolutely crazy to think about. Um, the stories the stories you can you can find on him uh, in terms of just, like, from uh, from oral history, players and reporters and uh, coaches or whatever, just people that were constantly around him. Like, the stories they have, absolutely sublime. Absolutely crazy. Um, one thing I wanted to read um, was... Uh, Shout out to Tiana Bartoletta, um, obviously uh, Olympian and uh, amazing athlete all around, an amazing person all around, an amazing writer all around because uh, she wrote this on the day, like hours after and it's actually sublime so I just wanted to read it because it gave a lot of perspective um, to all of this to be honest so um, shout out to Tiana as I read this. Uh, the sports world lost a legend on Sunday, January 26th. I was waiting for a flight when I saw the TMZ report on my timeline. My initial reaction was denial. Nah, no way. Here they go with the fake news bullshit. Then anger. How the reporting that the rush to be first to break the news and the irresponsible retweeting of misinformation. At God, the universe. But then something else happened. In my inbox I got a message from someone whose opinion I've come to respect and convos often look forward to. They sent me a link to an article about Kobe Bryant along with a message that basically said to temper your grief, don't forget he's a rapist. Yeah. So. I responded that I had actually not forgotten. But I also asked him to remember how Kobe has tried to live his life since then. And I asked him to have someone remind me to read his rap sheet at his funeral. Needless to say, that's a tempered but angry response from me. The question I have is this. Is there such a thing as redemption? Is that what he was pursuing? Was this the motivation behind becoming a producer, a coach, an analyst? If it was for redemption, did he get it? Do we need it? From who? Why? I always greet death with questions. I'll probably do the same at a time of my own. But I most definitely did not forget about the rape case. I also haven't discounted anything else he's done. When you take stock of a life... Is the wrong stuff more heavily weighted than the good stuff? And by whose rubric do we use to arrive at that conclusion? At what point, if any, do we get to leave what's behind behind and reclaim our life's potential if we had gone astray? I know there's this also this tendency to not speak ill of the dead. Death makes an asshole an angel to his or her family, friends and strangers, especially at their funeral. But that tendency is not why I'm pondering here. I'm challenging the yeah, but tendency we also have. Yeah, he or she did such and such, but don't forget about dot 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 dot. And I'm not advocating for a clean slate because one has died. I'm wondering... I'm just wondering why we as humans with unique but shared experiences do this to teach to do this to each other. And if or how it helps us realise our potential in the short time we have on this planet, or how we can both hold each other accountable and encourage a life rewrite. Because we're ultimately the authors and narrators of our story here on Earth. I know it's complicated and messy. But I like to hold space for the possibility you can come back from anything. I like the idea that your life it doesn't necessarily have to be tagged and labelled as your worst decision or your worst day. Hell, I am relieved to believe it's not even defined by your best ones. I like the idea of evolution and realising potential and change in perspectives. Yep, even among politicians who are extremely hard to take, especially lately. Why? Because I want that space held and extended to me. I don't want you to forget my fuck-ups. Because dismissing my fuck-ups is a surefire way to dismiss my growth. They do absolutely go together. I don't know about you, but I'm not inspired by perfect people. Not whipped into shape by flawless friends. 
It's okay to look at someone like Kobe Bryant and feel inspired by his performance and what he's done with his life and in the lives of others. It's okay to remember his rape case and the victim. And it's also right to judge what is or is not a, wor- a life worthy of your grief. As for me, I'd rather not have my life reviewed via cut and paste. And for those people who were close to me and are no longer, who re- and or who remain close to me now, know that I do see your picture. All of it. You don't have to worry about my selective membering of our life together. I know you're whole, complicated, messy, but beautiful. I just hope you see me the same. Rest easy, Gigi and Kobe and the other seven lives that were lost today. Thanks to Tiana for that. And to commemorate, I wanted to leave um, eight seconds of silence and 24 seconds of music with a two-second fade-in. Um, the 8 and 24 obviously represent Kobe's numbers. 2 represents Gianna's numbers for a, a basketball uh, career. And yeah, I just wanted you guys to use that time to just, you know, take stock, like I said at the start, and just think. Because, um, you know, as we've seen with this, life is really fickle. <laughs> Extremely fickle. So... Use that time to take a thought for whatever you want to think about, and then we'll continue on with the show. to sport and uh, I wanted to talk about Coco Goff um, who obviously the teenage tennis sensation um, has beaten Venus Williams twice now uh, beaten Naomi Osaka also at the Australian Open this year uh, and I think lost the next round uh, but she is still a sensation and at 15 nearly 16 years old now she's winning matches and you know getting deep into tournaments not not quarterfinals deep yet but she's getting there like bit by bit she's getting there and it's actually crazy to think about um so i wanted to read this uh article here which i found very interesting and uh, amazing commentary um so this is by Shalice manza young uh, of the undefeated it's called coco goff's win Serena Williams' loss spark mixed emotions at Australian Open. So let's get into it. On this day in the same arena, uh, arena January 24th by the way, uh, the Queen and one of the princesses she inspired played. The Queen lost and the princess won. And some of us have mi- mi- the mixed emotions of wanting to wrap our arms around the Queen to throw our arms up in exulta- exultation um, for the princess. During Friday's early session at the Australian Open, the Queen, Serena Williams, suffered a surprising loss to 27th seed uh, Kiang, Chiang Wang. Sorry if I uh, bold that. 6-4, uh, 6-7, seven, uh, uh, 7-5. In the night session, the Princess, unseeded Coco Goff, upset defending Open champion Naomi Osaka 6-3, 6-4. Goff is a supernova. As she noted after her win on Friday just two years ago, only 13 years old, she lost in the first round of the Australian Open Juniors draw, and now she's in the round of 16 of the championship. Even though she's a professional athlete, Goff is every bit her 15 years. During an on-court post-match interview on Friday, bright pink nails matching her bright pink New Balance sneakers, she said, quote, Honestly, like, what is my life? Like, oh my gosh, unquote. And as she, uh, as she discussed her win over Osaka, her Instagram feed shows her posting at Walt Disney World on Christmas with her family and giddy, uh, Madison Square Garden meeting with Willow and Jaden Smith. She's a huge fan of Jaden's brackets. And that brings up some mixed feelings. We know what the Williams sisters endured. We know the way they've been knocked and criticised for any misstep. Missteps all young women make. Missteps that, uh, that for most young women are brushed aside as not knowing better. But for our young women are... But for our young women are too often amplified. But all that happens to Goff too. Will she be allowed to be a teenager, her wide-eyed, amazing self, for the next few years? Will we let her revel in the awesomeness, awesomeness of her life? Uh, 
of getting to tour the world and having teachers who let her hand uh, in high school assignments late because she's trying to win Grand Slam tennis crown? Or will she endure, endure the whispers and sometimes shouts that the, like, uh, that the Williamses did? That they were too loud, too powerful, too muscular, too outspoken, too emotional, all of which were euphemisms for being too black. Will our social media world look for reasons to try and te- to tear her down? For two decades, Venus and Serena Williams shattered tennis norms, racking up Grand Slam titles and Olympic gold medals and showing brown-skinned girls that the sport was not the exclusive enclave of girls whose skin tone was closer to that of tennis whites. And in more recent years, Serena Williams has become not just a champion on the court, she's become a champion of women, especially black women. She began using her voice before she, beca- before she became a mother, but the 2017 birth of daughter Olympia seems to have had a tremendous impact on her, and Williams has, uh, has channeled her on-court fierceness to advocate on behalf of those who have supported her for so long. That includes Osaka. Imagine the 2018 US Open final when Osaka beat her idol will always be remembered for how it ended, with Williams sparring with chair umpire Carlos Ramos and Osaka in tears apologising to Williams. Williams embraced the buddy Nostar and made every effort to make sure Osaka got the praise she deserved for her win. Little more than a week ago, Osaka tweeted a photo of herself and Williams at a charity match and captured it, Me and my mom, LOL. It's always hard to see our beloved champions play out the final years of their career. The wins fewer, the mistakes more frequent. And her loss to Wang... Williams uh, said she made, quote, far too many errors to be a pro athlete, unquote, and insisted that she believes her record-setting 24th Grand Slam will happen. But it's just a bit more bittersweet with Williams. For those of us of a certain age, we remember her as a teenager, wearing beads on the grass course of stuffy Wimbledon of all places, someone who seemed so familiar excelling in a place where it had long appeared we just weren't supposed to be. We've held her up as she for thinly veiled con- uh, comments about her physique, defended her, uh, defended her against the idea that Maria Sharapova, whom she's clobbered in <laughs> nearly every meeting, was some sort of legitimate rival, absorbed the ugly outright racism right along with her. As with that horrifying editorial cartoon of uh, out of Australia after the loss to Osaka in the US Open. The beautiful thing though, is that unlike Debbie Thomas, the elegant mid-80s black figure skating world champion whose success didn't lead to more brown-skinned girls joining the sport, the dominance of Queen Serena and Venus has meant numerous black girls who have followed them to tennis. Simon Stevens, 2017 US Open champion, Madison Keys, 2017 US Open finalist, Osaka, and now Goff. As we embrace the Queen to thank her for all that she has done through her remarkable career, let's also take care with this princess and lift her spirit as she continues to climb. So that was an amazing commentary I thought uh, was genuinely worth a read, and um, I think it's always something worth thinking about, especially when it comes to these younger sports stars. Um, you know, one I always think about, and uh, when it when it comes to stuff like this, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, someone being such a young f- uh, phenom, you know, um... Most of the time, it's gymnasts, I think, about, you know, people like Simone Biles, you know, like uh, uh, like um, uh, Gabby Douglas, you know, people like those, because those women are always, they, they come into the game super young, super young, it's actually crazy, um, you know, Simone Biles has been a, you know, she's, she's been all over, she, she's been all over this, uh, the past decade, right, she, I think when, when she started, right, I don't know, like, maybe 2014, something like that, you know, just early 2010s, right, we, she's been a household name in, in gym, in gymnastics world, right, she's been the name in gymnastics for years, right, she's 22, she's a year younger than me, do you know what I mean? She's a year younger than me. Aforementioned Gabby Douglas. She's 24. You know? It, the, these women are women winning gold medals. Gabby won a, a 2012 Olympic all-round champ, uh, championship, right? She, 2012. Okay? 
they were doing this they were doing this shit at such young ages right and obviously in more recent years there's been obviously a lot of well obviously in previous decades but um you know um but it wasn't really you know covered as extensively as as it is now especially in this uh, uh, social climate you know people like Larry Nasser and all that and you know um and you you can look up those stories of just how especially female gymnasts have been um sexually abused um Biles has used her voice amazingly in that arena and to be honest it's quite dis- it's quite um it's quite uh, haunting to think about you know, the you know these these uh, not not just the fact that you know there's these there's you know supremely talented girls out there um in gymnast world and you know in other worlds as well it's not just gymnastics other sports as well most likely um but obviously it's been covered in gymnastics recently you know girls getting sexually abused and um now that they're talking about it i don't know what's <sighs> It's just jarring to think about. They're younger than you know. Simone Biles is younger than me. I can't even fathom that. I can't fathom that. She seems so wise beyond her years, um, and the way she talks eloquently about you know everything that's gone on in the past you know few years and throughout her career and throughout her peers' career as well is actually nothing short of remarkable. And for Coco, on the flip side, you know, there's nothing that she has to talk about at the moment. There's nothing she has to talk about. No one's asking Coco Goff to talk about women's rights or excuse me or what or stuff like that, you know. She she doesn't have to talk about the stuff that Serena is trying to excuse me, uh, shine a light on now. She doesn't have to do that. She can if she wants to. You know, if she if she wants to just, you know, slap on an Instagram post and just talk about, you know, uh black female tennis and, uh, you know, and how she wants to inspire or whatever, she can do that. But here's the thing. When it comes to sport, you make statements with what you do on the field of play. She's making statements already. You know, Serena was making statements already. Venus was making statements already. Althea Gibson was making statements already. Arthur Ashe was making statements already. On the court. They didn't have to say nothing. Just do your things. You know, and it says a lot. It says a lot, especially in a sport like tennis. But I do, you know, um, I do do worry that, you know, know, she's going to either do something or say something and American media will just rip her to shit. And it's just going to be absolutely, and I guarantee you, in hindsight, when that happens, because I unfortunately believe it will happen at some point, I don't know what it'd be for, don't know if we justified or not, right? But I believe it will happen at some point, because it always fucking happens. Always fucking happens, right? I just hope that it's long down the line. Because like I said, she is not, (laughs) she, she, she is not even 16 yet, I think. I think she's 15. Um, like that's young, that's dumb young, and you know, for being such a world class talent as she is in the moment, you know, like the article, like the commentary said, I hope that it goes on for for just a little while longer. And when she wants to talk about things that she cares about, then people open their ears, and then they can criticize if they want to, constructively. But we all know. The media, in especially in the Western world, especially in America and the UK, you know, it doesn't and also Australia, because obviously as I mentioned in Australia for that cartoon as well, you know, in other places as well, a lot of media, it just the 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 the, the um the backlash is always just so large and sometimes really unnecessary, um, and I just I hope that doesn't. I just hope they don't come for her, like, you know, you know, so soon. She's just getting started. Just let her do her things. If she wants to talk about stuff, then you can critique. But at the moment, she's just doing her things. She's just being a teenager who's a world, who just ha- just so happens to be a world-class athlete. I think we should let her just do that. So salute to Coco and salute to obviously Serena and Venus and all of them. Uh, 
Black Tennis is Black Tennis is here, boy. <laughs> Black Tennis is here. <laughs> So I move on to final topic, and it's uh, life, and I wanted to talk about Glenfell again. I like to occasionally just give an update, to be honest, because um, it's something that I'm, I'm trying to keep close a close eye on, and also affirm my belief that this will be of Hillsborough level of incompetence, and will go on for decades. When, to be honest, logically, it fucking shouldn't. But you know why they're gonna, you know why they're doing this, just so there's a statue of limitations going thing going on in a few years, and they'll be like, oh, it happened so long ago, let it go, you know, guarantee that will be the conversation, right? Down the line, it'll be the conversation. But for now, I mean, it's bit. I can't believe the things happened in 2017, and we're in 2020. It's gonna be the third anniversary in a couple of months, and still nothing's happened. But I just wanted to get into this article just briefly. Cause it's a very lengthy article, but I just wanted to get into it briefly, just so I can, just so I can go off it. Um, so it's uh, by Robert Booth, social affairs correspondent for the Guardian. It's called Grenfell Inquiry Panelist Steps Down Over Cladding Company Links. Right, so let's just jump right in. Um, a key member of the Grenfell Tower Public Inquiry has resigned after fury among, among survivors and the bereaved at her links to the company that made the combustible cladding. So let's just stop there, right? Do you see what I mean? So this is wasted time. It's wasted time. So you've added someone that has links to the company that killed the people and dishomed people. And now she's just left. You've wasted so much fucking time already. Already you've already wasted time. Let's continue. Less than 48 hours before the inquiry is due to start hearing evidence about, quote, decisions which led to the installation of a highly combustible cladding system, unquote, Boris Johnson announced Benita Mera was standing down for from a panel advising the chairman of the inquiry, Sir Martin Morbick. It followed 10 days after uh, tender. It followed 10 days of uh, rising pressure on the Prime Minister from the community devastated by the fire on 14th of June 2017, which claimed 72 lives, to reverse her appointment. The Guardian revealed last week that Mera, an engineer, previously ran an organisation which received a £71,000 grant from the Arconic Foundation, the uh, philanthropic arm of the conglomerate which supplied the aluminium composite, Cladding panels which burned like petrol. Do you see this? Do you, do you, uh, let, me, let me just continue because I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep stopping. Survivor said her selection, formerly made by Johnson, was a clear conflict of interest, and some threatened to withdraw participation if she remained. The inquiry has already concluded. Uh, the iconic panels were the main cause of the spread of fire, and lawyers for the firm are due to give their opening statement on Tuesday. Johnson said on Saturday evening that he had accepted her resignation, adding, quote, As the inquiry's phase two hearings begin, we remain completely committed to getting to the truth of what happened, learning lessons and delivering justice for the victims, unquote. Okay, sure. In her resignation letter to Johnson, uh, Mera said she had made a, quote, regrettable oversight, unquote, by not connecting the grant her organisation received to the work, of the inquiry, and that she was resigning with the deepest regret. Uh, Mera was appointed on December twenty third, but links to the iconic uh, to links to iconic uh, only emerged this month when the members of Grenfell United (GU), uh, su- the survivors and bereaved group, uh, found that when Mera was president of Women's Engineering Society, she helped draft a successful grant application to the iconic foundation in twenty seventeen. The seventy one k grant was the charity's largest uh, single grant that year and was spent on a mentoring program that ended in December 2019. Mera remains a trustee of the charity. The Arconic Foundation's board of directors includes several senior Arconic uh, executives and its stated goal is to support the company's mission by making grants in countries where it trades. Uh, Mera said it was an uh, apparent her link to the donation, quote, has caused serious concerns to the number of bereaved survivors and residents call p- uh, participants, unquote. But she stressed 
that she had never spoken to anyone at the Arconic Foundation and her role had been to review the initial proposal. Accepting her resignation, Johnson's private secretary, Emily Benyon, said that the cabinet office, quote, having made further inquiries into your case, have said that they continue to believe that there is no conflict of interest that would have prevented you from taking part in the inquiry, unquote. But GU had described her selection as a slap in the face, and Shadow Housing Secretary John Healy called for her to be removed. As pressure rose on, uh, rose on Johnson last week, uh, Johnson last week, the London Mayor Sadiq Khan, I think, said what? As pressure rose on Johnson last week, the Met. Oh right, there should be a comment. There should be a comment there. There wasn't. That's confused me. Uh, last week, the Mayor Sadiq Khan said the situation was quote another major blow for the community, which epitomises the careless approach uh, this government continues to take in the aftermath of this tragedy. Unquote. Survivors in the debris said Mera had done quote a dignified thing by resigning, and it helps lift growing anxiety ahead of phase two. However, a, p- a spokesperson for GU said. Quote, the government should have never put families in this situation. They failed to carry out basic checks and understand the importance and sensitivities around a fair and proper process. We still have questions for both the inquiry team and cabinet office to answer as to how this situation was ever allowed to happen. The government promised two panel members and must now urgently find a new panellist to bring expertise on the community relations to the inquiry. We do not need the pretense of diversity for the sakes of diversity. The panel does not need another technical expert where we already have ample provision, unquote. So I'm going to leave it there. There's plenty more quotes, and um, I highly uh, suggest you guys read the rest of this and just, um, you know, obviously keep note of the of what's going on here because, like I keep saying, it's fuckery. It's fuckery. Clearly, there's a conf- conflict of interest there. Just a plain conf- conflict of interest. Now, I'm not saying... No, nobody here, right, is saying... Well, maybe they are, but I, would, I just want to say here, right? I'm not saying, personally, as I look at this, right, that she's an iconic um, foundation plant. You know what I mean? I don't think the links are that heavy, right? But... But it just doesn't look good on paper. It just just on paper, just on paper, it doesn't look good to me. You know, it just, it just you have to raise an eyebrow to that. And if you have to raise an, and if you immediately raise an eyebrow to that, then you've got a problem. Then you've got a potential, and that's all it is. And that's when it comes to stuff like this, it needs to be locked in. Like, no relationships with the fucking opposite party being, you know, investigated. You can't have that. That's a conflict of interest. Potentially. The fact that it's potentially is enough for me. And it's enough for everyone else. So why isn't it enough for the fucking government? Why isn't it enough? See, uh... I have to, I have to, I feel like I really do sometimes just have to, like, just think about, I, I, I do, I, th- I think about this a lot, in terms of how long is this going to take, you know, I don't know, I don't know, you know, how this process, you know, on average would take, you know, I, I don't know how long an inquiry takes, I don't, I don't know, right, I'm not educated in that, that deep, right, but for fuck me, these people are taking some, taking a while, they are taking, they are taking a while, they are taking their sweet time, and they've already wasted a whole month by having this woman on, that's a month wasted, you know, and again, I don't know how long this process is going to take, and um, I'm constantly in fear of this just going haywire and the survivors and the bereaved don't get anything out of it. I'm constantly in fear of that. In the same way, and, and you know, not, not even from a monetary standpoint or whatever, just via justice, just looking at, you know, what in the history books, you know, who goes to jail for this? 
who who is held accountable and so far nobody's been held accountable and it's been nearly 3 years that's not that's that is that is not enough that is not enough and i'm constantly just wondering like i'm just shrugging up my shoulders i'm like when what, what what's up <laughs> when are you when is something going to happen and you know the fact that these are council houses uh, tower blocks you know this is you can't you can't obviously you can't take the government out of this because obviously the government are continually part of this and Kensington and Chelsea Council are part of this but you you have to you have to be weary you have to you have to raise an eyebrow and just going like why are you taking your time with this and we know why they're taking their time with it because they're trying to either find people to throw under the bus or they're just trying to find a way to save everybody that had a hand in this and we know people had a fucking hand in this because it's safety features and there's names to that and those names should be constantly called out including whoever is in the government uh you know in the higher up and have to like you know take note of this kind of stuff whether it's i don't know business or um um social care i don't know i don't know where it fits into the um you know the uh, uh the the uh the the departments you know the 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 governmental departments i don't know where it fits but boy there's some names i need there's some names i need and from a justice perspective heads on a pike and i don't think we're getting that at the moment and it's, it's you know constantly reading this stuff it's uh, it pisses me off you know i keep i keep mentioning hillsborough cuz it's literally the same it's, it's i i generally think it'd be the same thing you now hillsborough still ain't sorted after all these years and i generally think this is how grenfell's going to be it's just going to be people trying to fight the good fight and the government constantly you know throwing throwing fodder uh do you want an inquiry here you go Oh, nothing happened. Oh, that's, that's, that's peak. You know, it's just, it's just, it's shit. It's garbage, and um, I don't know. And you know, just a note, I made a point to talk about this instead of the exit because, like I've been saying with the exit, there are more important things, way more important things than the fucking exit. I'd love if the exit never existed. And we can focus more on these things and fighting for justice and, you know, trying to help the NHS and stuff like that and other things. Education. You know, I, I, I always, I'm always shout these things out because the exit is just a pure dick swing contest. And unfortunately, using our future, so it pertains to my generation and the generations behind me. And also just everyone involved. It's just bollocks. And uh, but yeah, I, that's why that's why I just wanted to talk about this because I feel like it's just I don't care if thirty first is coming up. I don't care. We'll 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 have the names. We'll have the names on of who of who made that bullshit. And while the year continues, we're gonna constantly shout those names out. Boris Johnson being the first one, Nigel Farage being the second. Right, we're gonna keep doing that. But I also want to try and find these names for stuff like Grenfell and people like Jeremy Hunt, who've who've near single-handedly gutted the crown jewel of literally our country, which is the NHS. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna leave it there. From the Fifth and Podcast Network, Ivan Chaitan and this has been Mosgood. Intro music is too much by Vanilla. Interlude music is visited by Poldor. You can find their music via Bandcamp links in the description below. Thanks to Jewel Records for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their profile via Bandcamp in the description below. <sighs> well, it's been, a, it's been a tough one, but I'm glad we got through it. Um, have a good week, everybody. Yeah. Keep your loved ones close and all that. And just keep your, and just keep your mind in check. And... Try and stop sometime. You know, just for an hour, just stop. 
just find time to stop. You know what I mean by stop. And uh, with that said, have a good week. I'm going to try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.